the book of Genesis. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 19. Liskin Dirks lived in Antwerp, Belgium in the 1500s. The Reformation had reached Belgium. The gospel was being heard. Liskin, as a young lady, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and was saved. She was a Baptist. And she was a Baptist in a time and place where being a Baptist was incredibly risky. Around this time, the king of Brussels had hung pictures of men who were known to be reformers, men who were known to be preaching this gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, calling people away from the Catholic Church and back to their Bibles. The king of Brussels had taken pictures of known men who were preaching this and, and put their pictures on the gates of the city and had offered substantial monetary rewards to anyone who would turn in the name and whereabouts of one of these men or any Protestant who held to their teaching. Many of the Protestants in Brussels were turned in by their own family members and by their own close friends because the reward the king was offering was so High. A law was passed concerning Baptists that those who would not recant their Baptist faith would be burned with fire. Those who would recant would be treated more mercifully and would only be killed by a sword. Liskin was 18 years old. She was engaged to a, a young man, also a Baptist. His name was Jeronius Segerson. They appear to have been truly in love with one another. Because of their Baptist beliefs, they could not and would not be married by a Catholic priest in a, in a Catholic church, and so they were married by the pastor of their Baptist congregation, which meant they were married in the eyes of God, but they were not married according to the law of the land. For at that time, in that place, you had to be married by a Catholic priest in order for your marriage to be considered legal. Week after week, they attended church together. The, the location of where their church was meeting would change fairly regularly so that the authorities would not know in whose house they were meeting. In 1551, King Charles V began a campaign of rounding up and killing those who had rejected the Catholic Church and its teaching, and particularly those who were Baptists. His men would go house to house on Sunday mornings hoping to discover a Protestant church meeting. Sometimes they would stumble across gamblers or dogfighters or cockfighters and they would promise fathers that their sons who were caught doing these things would be kept out of legal trouble if they would only turn in the names of the Protestants that they knew. At other times they would beat people until they would confess the names of the Protestants that they were acquainted with. Jeronius and Liskin soon came to the attention of the authorities. 
After all, in the eyes of the average person of the day, they weren't married. If a Catholic priest had not married them, they were not married. And so people began to talk about this couple who acted as if they were married. Liskin called herself Mrs. Segerson. They, they lived together and, and she was now carrying his child. And the gossip spread and soon, after having been married not even a year, the couple was arrested. Liskin, who was still with child when she was put into prison, was placed in one cell, Jeronius in another cell. The only communication they had was through letters. In one letter, Jeronius wrote, to his, wrote a poem to his dear wife. He said, Fear God always in loathsome cell, guarded and strong. I lie bound in Christ's love, His truth to testify. The wall be thick, no hand the doors unclose. God is my strength, my solace, and my repose. At her trial, Liskin was declared the greatest heretic in town. She wrote a letter. I'm sorry, her husband wrote to her a letter after her trial and after this had taken place saying, My most beloved wife, submit yourself to all that is happening to you. Be patient in all your troubles. Keep praying and focus your mind on the precious promises God has made to those who trust Him to the end. She wrote back, My most dearly beloved husband in the Lord, if we suffer for Jesus, we will also reign with Him. I leave you in God's hands. The grace of the Lord be with us both. Jeronius was taken before the, uh, the, the judge of the day told to recant his faith. He would not. He was burnt at the stake. One of uh, 400 others in that region who were killed for their Protestant faith that time. Liskin, when her time came to stand before the judge, endured an even greater trial. For they pled with her to recant her faith, not for her sake, but for the sake of the baby in her womb. We're told that she stood upright, that she spoke bravely, and she refused to turn from the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're also told that when she was in her own cell, she wept much because her death would mean the death of her child. Can you imagine a greater temptation to turn from the Lord Jesus than this one? And yet she remained steadfast in her commitment to the Lord and His truth. And so on a Saturday morning, between 3 and 4 a.m., Liskin was taken from her cell, placed in a sack, and drowned. Where do women like Liskin Dirks come from? From where do they get a faith so strong and resolute? Liskin was a lady of tenderness and love, mixed with courage and a backbone of steel. She was salt and light. Her death did much to show the people of her day that the gospel of Jesus Christ was worth living and dying for. Through the death of her, through the death of her husband, through the death of almost 400 others that we know about in that region at that time, 
The gospel of grace took hold in that region, and not just hundreds, but thousands came to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. But where do women like this come from? They come from God, of course, from His grace. And in Liskin's case, as in the case of many others, she had godly parents who had taught her the gospel, who had taught her the truth. They had trained her up in the way that she should go, and when she was older, she did not depart from it. How different was Liskin's family from the family that the daughters of Lot knew? She was very different from them. What kind of daughters did Lot have? Daughters of immorality. Daughters who made foolish decisions. Daughters who were deceptive. Look with me at an event that occurs after Lot and his daughters have been saved from Sodom. Look towards the end of our chapter at verses 30 through 38 to see the character of Lot's daughters. Genesis 19, verse 30. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the young, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine. And we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring for our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. And thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Benami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. We have pride, a desire to not be shamed by a lack of offspring, a desire to carry on the family name, and these desires led these two daughters of Lot to commit incest. We have the older daughter leading the younger daughter into sin. And the result is two sons who become the fathers of two peoples who themselves will be marked by immorality and opposition to God and His people. Where did two women like this come from? They came from a father who failed to care for his daughters well. He once was a wealthy man, owning so much that he and Abraham could no longer dwell in the same region. He had to split ways from Abraham because he was so prosperous. Now, because of his poor choices, he's living in a cave. 
Here's a man who allows himself to get so dead drunk that he doesn't even know when his daughters have lain with him. We have seen before his foolish decision to move his family into the wicked city of Sodom where they were surrounded by a pagan and grossly immoral people. But the pinnacle of Lot's failure as a father to his daughters comes in verse 8 of this chapter. When Lot offers his daughters to a mob of wicked men to be raped and abused by them. We came to verse 8 last week, but we only talked briefly about it. And I thought we ought to spend some more time since it is a very interesting verse, a verse that strikes us, a verse that turns our stomachs, a verse that grabs our attention. I mentioned that, well, let's, let's read verse 8 first so you know what we're talking about. Let's look at verse 8. We have this mob of men wanting to commit rape against these two visitors, these men in Lot's house. And Lot comes to them, closes the door behind him, puts himself between the angry mob and the people in his house. And then he makes this proposal, verse 8, Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. There are some who try and justify what Lot does in this passage. He is, after all, trying to protect the visitors who are under his roof. But in the end, there simply is no justification for what Lot does here. It is sheer wickedness. Lot was a man who had come to know God. Lot was a man who believed on God and had tasted real goodness. And yet the worldliness with which he had surrounded himself had so rubbed off onto him that he was willing to propose this ghastly thing. I simply want to point out to you four observations from Lot's failure to care for his daughters. Four observations from Lot's failure to care for his daughters. Number one, even righteous men can fail greatly in caring for their daughters. Even righteous men can fail greatly in caring for their daughters. Remember, 2 Peter 7-8 through tells us that Lot was a righteous man. Not a perfect man, but a man who had come to, to, to believe on God. A, a man who by faith was striving to do what's right. His faith was feeble and fickle and he had made some, some terrible decisions, but he genuinely wanted to do what was right. This was not a man who simply didn't care about right or wrong. Lot was a man whose stomach turned when he saw immor immorality. Peter tells us that as Lot lived among the people of Sodom, he was tormenting his righteous soul as he saw the lawless deeds that took place by those people. Moreover, if you look at verse 7, you see verse 7? You can see that Lot was not one to embrace wickedness. Here is plea. I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. You see? 
This was not an unbelieving father who cared nothing about God or righteousness. This is a man who knows God. This is a man who longs to to see people do the right thing. When Lot offers his daughters, he either seems to think that this is a good thing or at the very least that this is the, the lesser of two evils that he is proposing. We wonder how in the world could a believer... A righteous man like Lot come to think this way. How could he have come to think so little of the welfare of his daughters that he would propose this? It seems quite likely that he had been influenced by the culture of the people around him. Do you think it was unusual in Sodom for women to be sexually assaulted? Sexual immorality, pagan orgies were quite common in the ancient world. We can probably assume they were even more common in the city of Sodom. There's a reason Lot didn't want those two angels spending the night in the town square. Lot knew what this city was like. Perhaps when he had first come to this city, the the immorality of the city was shocking to him. But now... Maybe it had become a little more common to him. He had gotten used to the wickedness of the city. Surely what Peter said is true. Surely Lot's righteous soul was being tormented by the immorality he saw and heard. But that doesn't mean he wasn't becoming desensitized to things. The norms of a culture will affect the people in that culture unless they actively work to be holy, to be set apart. Lot's culture undoubtedly held a very low view of women. And his own proposal reflects that he was affected by the culture around him. Friends, we too, though Christians, can become affected by the sinful culture around us. Even Christian parents, if they are not careful, can come to assume that foolish and even immoral ideas are just normal. We say, oh, how strange that Lot would put his daughters into the hands of this mob. And then we send our daughters out of our homes and tight-fitting, revealing clothing to go out at night alone with a teenage boy. And we say, that's just normal. Our culture expects those things. Our culture expects prom night. Our culture expects teenage girls to go out with different guys and to have their hearts broken several times before they graduate high school. We even call it preparation for marriage though it's not preparing them for marriage at all. Not for a healthy one anyway. Vody Balkum has it exactly right. He says this, Modern American dating is no more than glorified divorce practice. Young people are learning how to give themselves away in exclusive, romantic, highly committed, and at times sexual relationships only to break up and do it all over again. God never intended for His kids to live this way. 
And instead of stepping in and doing something, many Christian parents simply view these types of relationships as a normal and necessary part of growing up. Unless your child is wiser than Solomon, stronger than Samson, and more godly than David, all of whom sin sexually, your children are susceptible to sexual sin and these premature relationships serve as open invitations. You see, just as Lot was affected by the city around him, just as his culture had rubbed off on him so that this righteous man who wanted to do what, what was right probably inadvertently, perhaps ever since he was a baby, he had grown up in this in these culture of people who just had a low view of women. And so he held that view naturally. He he didn't even realize that it wasn't on par with who his God is. And so it can be with us. And righteous men can fail greatly in caring for their daughters. There's a reason the Bible calls us to be sober-minded people. And we as fathers must be sober-minded and countercultural when it comes to the parenting of our children. We make a second observation from Lot's failure to, to care for his daughters well. The, the second observation is this, that Lot's failure was a failure of love. It was a failure of love. And I say that because if we were to look to the Bible and say, Bible, show me what love is. And then we would go passage after passage and look for the way love is explained in the Bible. One of the key words that we would see again and again is this word protection. That one of the meanings of this word love is that if you love someone, you, you care about their welfare and you, you want them to be protected. And real love is willing to sacrifice in order that someone be protected. Jesus Christ gave His own life for us that we would be eternally secure in God's mercy forever. That's love. Lot should have been willing to die himself before he'd let one of those men in that angry mob put his grubby hands on one of his daughters. He should have said, you will get to that house through me. That's not what he did. And Lot's failure to love his daughters well is seen not just in this verse. For just a little bit later, we're going to see that both of Lot's daughters were engaged to be married. Both of his daughters were in the betrothal period of their marriages. And what kind of men were Lot's daughters going to be marrying? Men of Sodom. In fact, did you notice how the text goes out of its way to tell us that every man of the city, look at verse 4, if you want to see this, who is this crowd of men outside Lot's door? We're told that it was the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. Friends, if every last man in this city is there, guess who is at Lot's door trying to rape his two visitors? The two men to whom Lot's daughters are engaged to be married. What kind of love is this? That a father would give his daughter to such a man. Fathers in this room, we must not follow the example of Lot. 
We ought to know the kind of man that we want our daughters to be married to. And we ought to pray for such a man to come into her life. We need to teach our daughters what kind of man she should want as a husband. If you love your daughter, do you not want her to be under the care of a man who loves the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you not want her under the care of a man who will provide for her and lead her spiritually? Don't you want her to have a husband who will pray with her and for her? A husband who will encourage her in her walk with God and treat her with tenderness and kindness? Don't you want your daughter to have a husband who loves her for who she is on the inside and will be committed to her when she's in her 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s and beyond? There will come a time when according to our culture, Parents no longer have anything to say in a marriage. Our culture says that our daughters, once they come of a certain age, they will choose whom they marry. And it's one of the biggest decisions our daughters will ever make. Her happiness or her sorrow for most of her life will depend in large measure upon the man that she takes as her husband. Parents, are we preparing our daughters for that decision? Are we preparing our daughters for that day? I want to recommend a book that I hope will help us care for our daughters well and not follow Lot's example. Uh, this is a book by uh, Vody Balkum called, I love this title, What He Must Be If He Wants to Marry My Daughter. What he must be if he wants to marry my daughter. This is a great book that basically outlines for Christian parents, but also for young Christian ladies, what they ought to look for in a man of God. And I would highly recommend that parents read it. I'd highly recommend that fathers consider having date nights with their daughters to maybe once a month get together and go through a chapter and talk about this. I know it would be embarrassing for some girls to sit with daddy and talk about future husband. I know that it could be weird, but what a bonding experience. I mean, over time, the, the connection between father and daughter could really grow in doing something like that. So um, I have one copy, and we'll try and get some others for the church library, but uh, I highly recommend this book, What He Must Be If He Wants to Marry My Daughter. <clears throat> Our culture tells us that fathers should ignore this subject. Tell our daughters to focus on future careers. But having a godly husband is even more important than having a good career. We should start young, training our daughters, teaching our daughters about these things. We should start talking to our daughters when they're 11, 12, 13 about the kind of men they will marry, if not at a younger age, so that when they get to be 16, 17, 18, they don't feel uncomfortable coming to mom and dad and talking about these things. Real love means being willing to sacrifice in order to care for your daughters. Not, not following Lot's example and being willing to sacrifice your daughters for the sake of these men in your house. No, putting yourself out, sacrificing yourself for their sake. And fathers, that might mean that at different points in your parenting life, you may have to sacrifice for the sake of your daughter. You may have to sacrifice her friendship for a while. During those teenage years, 
Some daughters are graced by God with a tender, gentle spirit that is willing to submit to father and mother in the instruction and counsel that they give. But other daughters can be more rebellious. They will want to follow the culture around them. If you choose to care for your daughter well and to show her love, there may be times when she will despise you for a while. I think that's hard on a dad. I think it's hard on mom and dad both. But I mean, how many daddies have daddy's little girl? And to go through a season in which daddy's little girl might despise her daddy for a while because of the tough decisions he makes, that can be hard. But I have seen among some of my own relatives and in other cases what can happen when a father's soft heart for his daughter causes him to give in again and again to the decisions of his daughter even when he knows that those decisions are foolish and leading her down a wrong path. And I've seen the consequences. And they can often be lifelong consequences. They can often be not just earthly temporal consequences, but spiritual, eternal consequences. So don't follow Lot's example. Love your daughter by protecting her and doing all that is in your power to see that she marries not a man of Sodom, but that she marries a man who is mature and wise and responsible and humble and committed to God and committed to caring for her till death do they part. Let me give you a third observation from Lot's failure to care for his daughters. A third observation is that Lot's failure was a failure of responsibility. A failure of responsibility. You see, some would look at these verses and they would shake their heads and they would say, Lot's daughters deserved better than this. Lot owed it to his daughters to treat them better than this. But that's actually not the way the Bible talks. According to Scripture, the obligation on Lot was not so much to his daughters as it was to God Almighty. For you see, to be a parent is to receive a stewardship from God. Children are a gift from the Lord. And fathers are called to shepherd their children well, not just for the sake of their children, but for the sake of the one who entrusted them to his care. God has entrusted precious hearts and souls into the cares of fathers and mothers. And fathers in particular are to imitate the fatherly care of God in the way they care for their children. We will give an account before God concerning this stewardship. God has entrusted these children to us. Now we will give an account to Him for how well we handled that stewardship. Parents cannot control whether or not our children grow up to love Christ. We cannot ultimately make our children love the Lord Jesus. We cannot make the hearts of our children melt when they think about the wisdom and the goodness of God so that they are attracted to Him and drawn to Him and brought to trust in Him. We cannot make our children believe. But parents will not be judged by whether or not their children grew to love God or not. Parents will be judged by whether or not they taught the children, the truths of God. Parents will be judged by the examples that they set. Parents will be judged by what they promoted in their home. 
Parents will be judged by the, the wise and foolish decisions that they made. I don't have a daughter, and I know that. I do have two sons that I long to see know Christ. I pray all the time that Jonathan and Benjamin will grow up to love the Lord Jesus and be used mightily for his name. I want them to be the kind of godly men that any Christian father would want his daughter to marry. I want them to be mature and faithful, hardworking and joyful, tender and Christ-loving men. But ultimately, after all the prayers, after all the, the times and spiritual discussion and family worship and reading Scripture together, Jonathan and Benjamin will have to decide for themselves whether or not Jesus is worthy of their trust. I pray that by God's grace, Christ will have won their hearts and that they will be baptized in His name and that they'll follow Him. But even if they never do, despite my grief over their lost condition, which would certainly be great, I would at least hope to have the comfort of Christ's words, well done, my good and faithful servant that though my children may not have ever converted to Christ, Christ will be able to say, by grace, by the strength that I provided, you did well in seeking to point them to me. Because ultimately, my boys are a stewardship for which I must give an account. They ultimately belong to God. He is the potter who has made them. They are the clay. He has the right to do with them as He pleases. And at this point in time, He has entrusted them to my care to shepherd them well. And all the parents in this room, God has done the same for you with your children. Shepherding daughters will mean feeding them, leading them, and protecting them. That's what shepherds do. They feed, lead, and protect. Feed them with God's truth. Lead them into putting God's truth into practice. Protect them from taking paths that would lead them away from Him. Different parents can disagree about this or that issue concerning what it means to parent well. And we should not judge one another concerning these things, but we should all be united in our desire to do all we can to shepherd our children wisely. You see, Lot's failure was not only a failure of love, it was a failure of responsibility before God. And the final observation I would make is that the consequences of failing to care for our daughters can be grave. The consequences of failing to care for our daughters can be grave. In Lot's case, the mob refused his offer and went after Lot instead. Lot's daughters escaped Sodom unharmed. Yet as we have seen, the only indication we have about the kind of women they grew up to be is their decision to deceive their father and to commit incest. We also know of the immoral peoples that came from them, the Moabites and the Ammonites. All signs point to these daughters being unbelievers who will ever, forever suffer the righteous wrath of God in a place called hell. The way fathers care for their daughters has serious consequences. If you fail 
to shepherd your daughters well, to point them down wise paths, to instruct your daughters and care for your daughters. The results can be disastrous, not just for her life on earth. There can be disastrous results in this life, but even worse results in eternity. On the other hand, if we shepherd our daughters well and strive with all our might to point them to Christ and the wise paths revealed in the Bible, with God's blessing, the consequences can be fantastic. Women like Liskin Dirks don't come from nowhere. Women like Liskin Dirks are raised up by God and often from godly parents. Liskin has received her crown of life and will experience true happiness and true peace for all eternity. Is that not what we would want for all our children? Now, fathers, I am not calling you to shepherd your daughters well in your own strength. Not at all. This task of parenting is too big for us. And it is too overwhelming. No, I am calling for us to look to Christ. I am calling for us to learn from Him what it means to shepherd well. And then praying for His help to do the best we can to put what He teaches us into practice. The task of caring well for our daughters may seem so daunting, like a giant that we cannot conquer. But when Christ is with us, our little slingshot and our few smooth stones are enough. Christ will take what we have, the little that we can offer, and He will make much of it. So looking to Christ, looking to His Word, seek to shepherd your daughters well, and pray for God to add His blessing. Don't follow the example of Lot. Let us do this for the happiness and the well-being of our daughters as well as for the glory of our God. Amen? Let's pray.